0: regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed welcome to another edition of bearing arms cam and company my name is cam edwards and today we're going to be talking about those uh, illinois lawmakers who are doing all kinds of infringing on the right to keep and bear arms the uh, illinois house concurring with changes to a uh, sweeping A ban on firearms and uh, magazines on Tuesday afternoon, Uh, Governor J.B. Pritzker signing that uh, legislation into law on uh, Tuesday evening, and uh, the law goes into effect immediately. So as of today, it is prohibited for gun stores to sell AR-15s and uh, all other uh, designated quote-unquote assault weapons, as well as and this gets confusing because apparently there is no standard definition of a large capacity magazine in Illinois. That, that invented phrase means whatever anti-gun lawmakers want it to mean. So in Illinois, a large capacity magazine for a rifle is now 10 rounds. A large capacity magazine for a uh, handgun is anything that... Well, I should say large capacity magazine for a magazine is anything over 10 rounds. Large capacity for a handgun is anything over 15 rounds. What's the difference between the two? I bet even lawmakers who voted for this couldn't tell you why the designation uh, uh, is the way it is, but I'll tell you what I think. Uh, both both are unconstitutional. But we're not just going to talk about this, uh, you and me, today. No, no, no. Dan Eldridge is going to be with us here in just a moment, uh, the owner of Maxson Shooter Supplies in the Plain, Illinois, uh, and one of the uh, many FFLs in Illinois who has been – uh, outspoken from the get-go about the attempt to ban commonly owned firearms and magazines, uh, and the legal challenge that is soon to come. So, without any further ado, let's uh, get right to our conversation with Dan Eldridge. Take a look and a listen. Well, Dan, uh, first of all, thanks for coming on the show. I wish it were under better circumstances, quite honestly.
1: My pleasure, Cam. Good morning.
0: Yeah, good morning. Um, all right, so so let's get right to it. This is we've been talking about House Bill fifty-eight fifty-five. That's not actually what passed. Uh, because Democrats did a a lot of sleight of hand here in order to get this gun and magazine ban through during the lame duck session, right? I mean, they had to like, you know, pull existing legislation, swap it out because there are all kinds of rules about having to read bills three days in a row. So they did a lot of legislative tricks to rush this thing into place.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's it's said that. Um... Seeing legislation drafted is like seeing sausage made, and uh, Illinois uh, uh, is, is living up to that standard quite nicely. Uh, yeah. Right Right now, what we have is a legislature and a governor gleefully acting in defiance of the United States Supreme Court on a civil rights issue. Well, congratulations, Illinois. Um, I think if you squint hard enough, you can just make out Governor Orville Falva standing on the schoolhouse steps in Little Rock, can't you?
0: It is, uh, you are not the first person to uh, invoke the specter of massive resistance. Uh, And and frankly, I think rightfully so. Um, You know, I I live in Virginia. I live not far actually from. Uh, Prince Edward County, Virginia, where in the wake of Brown versus Board of Education in the 1950s, they shut down the public schools for five years rather than integrate. Right. I've spoken with people who were taught in church basements, who were taught in living rooms, because they they were told, you can't go to school with these little white kids, right? Yep. Um, and, and we are seeing the difference here is that back in the 50s, this was about depriving an entire, a specific group of people, right, black Americans, of every civil right possible, now this is about depriving every law-abiding citizen of one civil right, their right to keep and bear arms. Now, maybe the, today's Democrats say that makes it better. I don't think so, quite honestly, particularly when the, uh, the implications and the, the enforcement of these new laws are frankly likely to fall disproportionately on minorities, lower income uh, Illinois residents and Chicago residents.
1: Correct. When he uh, signed the bill the last night, the governor said that uh, and I'm quoting here. There was a lot of thought that went into it to make sure it would be and obviously uh, constitutional and obviously it'll go to the courts and they'll make their determinations. Well, there was no uh, consideration of whether this is is uh, constitutional or not. Um, As president of the dealers Association, I am always in contact with uh, leadership on both sides of the house when stuff like this comes up. We elected not to give uh, subject matter testimony at all. We're not going to teach them how to build a better mousetrap in this case. But what we did do is we said, you can't do this, and here's why. And we laid out the Bruin case, the three GVR cases that came out of that. And it's, it's simply unambiguous. Uh, yesterday, the Senate president claimed in testimony, or I guess this was two days ago when they sent it back, that the Supreme Court thinking on two-way issues is in flux. Really? Well, that doesn't comport with the reality of Bruin in those three GVR cases. And then even this week, we got that TRO in New Jersey on the on the kill carry bill, all decided on the basis on on a basis that this law violates. Right. And, you know, we'll talk about
0: um, the legal arguments against the gun and magazine ban here in a second. But I want to I want to talk I want to go back to before the bill passed. Because I got an email from you a couple of days ago that I thought was pretty remarkable. Um, You talked about, compared to a year ago, handgun sales were double in your store. Sales of modern sporting rifles were up almost 1,000%, almost 10 times higher. So if you can, talk to me about Illinois gun owners, and and frankly, maybe even new gun owners, um, reacting and responding to this anti-gun legislation with their wallets
1: and with their pocketbooks. Right, that's exactly what it is. They're voting with their wallets. Uh, they they don't trust this government. Uh, there's there's compliance with registration schemes, which this has has a component of, is very very low where it's been tried. And I, I don't think that we sold these hundreds and hundreds of long guns to people who anticipate turning them in or destroying them or, or moving them out of state. So. Uh, yeah, it was, this is a very seasonal business, right? You know that. Uh, so I just looked at that Thursday through Sunday period, the first Thursday through Sunday in January, uh, this year versus last year. And yeah, uh, long handguns were up double, uh, long guns were up 10 times. And then that doesn't even count the ammo, the accessories, the mags, you know, all the, all the doodads that you put on your rifle, uh, like Mr. Potato Head
0: right well you say that was the first thursday through sunday of the year what were things like at uh, Maxon's monday and tuesday of this week
1: same Same. Yeah. it's just been non-stop uh, what we were urging people all along to do was buy what's in the store don't order online don't order from one of the online vendors and have it transferred to us because if this thing is passed we won't be able to get you your gun illinois has a 72 hour wait uh if we don't have the gun physically in hand, we can't begin the 4473 and start the background check. So uh, there will be a fair number of those guns that will have to go back, um, and that's unfortunate, or that we will keep uh, pending a, pending a injunctive relief, which I think will come very quickly, and then we'll be able to deliver people their property.
0: Okay. But, yeah, so there are some folks who are just stuck in limbo, right? They They started the process of buying a gun, but it wasn't completed, and now – they uh, they they for the time being anyway uh, they can't get a hold of that uh, that firearm. Now again you talked about injunctive relief and so let let's talk about this because I, I know that uh, the the firearms dealers association in Illinois you all will be filing suit.
1: Correct. The association is Federal Firearms Licensees of Illinois. That's FFL. I'm sorry, FFLIL dot org is the website. It's a five hundred one c four. Uh, We're working in conjunction with the Aurora Sportsman's Club, which is the largest gun club in Illinois, uh, Guns Save Life, which is an advocacy group in southern Illinois. Uh, We have a number of manufacturers, distributors, and of course, dealers uh, supporting us as members and and just general public donors. Uh, So the response has been tremendous. That is fantastic to hear. Um,
0: Is it uh, fair to say that uh, you expect litigation to be filed imminently?
1: Yes, in federal court. Um, there's another group, uh, that's filing in state court on the procedural stuff, and that's great. You know, we'll, we'll simply, uh, flood the zone here and we will win and we will win quickly and we will have a substantial war chest to go after all sorts of other things. I believe, Cam, that this is a high watermark for gun control advocates in Illinois. I really, truly believe that in my heart of hearts.
0: I I think so. And I think it's a matter of overreach, too. Um, You know, I think this probably is the high watermark. I think this probably is as far as as they get. Uh, And if you look at, you know, the history of Illinois gun control over the past 20 years, Dan, I mean, honestly, it's been. A history of losing in court, right? When it yep. came to concealed carry, uh, you know, the the state of Illinois argued you don't have a right to to bear arms in self defense. Right. And the Seventh Circuit said, yeah, actually, yeah, you do. Rather than appeal that case up to the Supreme Court, take the nationwide loss. They said, all right, fine. And they uh, ended up adopting a uh, shall issue concealed carry law. Um, we've had two judges uh, at the circuit court level in state court. Uh, declare the FOID card to be unconstitutional. And the state Supreme Court has found a way to invalidate those decisions without actually ruling on the merits of the case. Um, you, you're right. I think the gun control lobby is fighting a losing battle in Illinois. But what makes you so confident that they're going to lose this particular case?
1: Well, the venue that we're choosing, we're going into federal court. They, they Even if we were to file in the Northern District, we would probably win. Uh, they don't have the court precedent on their side of this. I mean, it's unambiguous. You just don't get to do this anymore. The, the Second Amendment is an individual right that cannot be infringed. And the standards here is, are, is strict scrutiny. Nobody can find historical analogs for any of this stuff. Back at the between 1790 and 18 whatever you want to pick, mm-hmm. uh, there just is none, and that's the basis that uh, the uh, New Jersey groups won on this week was the lack of historic the the unlikelihood that the defendants would be able to find a historical analog.
0: Yeah, and that's true. I mean, you really can't uh, not a, not in 1791 the, these types of you know bans on certain farms that didn't exist. Um, and I think you know the the Fourteenth Amendment period is actually really interesting too, because at that point you had seen the development of firearms, right? So now we're not talking about single shot derringers. Now we're not talking about muskets that take you know maybe all close to a minute to reload. Now you've got revolvers. Now you have repeating rifles. You've got uh, you know the the Henry Magazine or the uh, the Henry Rifle Company bragging about you know load on Sunday, shoot all week, uh, yeah. and 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 yet there was no 19th century equivalent of moms demanding bans on lever action, right? That you just didn't see that. These are modern artifacts of the modern gun control movement. And I I agree with you. I think it's going to be very difficult um, for the defenders of this ban to find anything that remotely resembles what they're trying to do here in our nation's history.
1: Right. And it's it's said that um... You know, history doesn't repeat, but it echoes and 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 people really don't change much over time. and I, I think that a a good analog to the current gun control crowd would be the uh, the the advocates for prohibition, the temperance league types, who whose subject matter expertise was how emotionally uh, strongly they felt about a particular issue. They're completely uninformed on on gun rights. They're completely uninformed on gun owners and the lawful ownership of guns. Here's an example., uh, the the bill spends how long with this weird fixation on 50 caliber rifles and ammo okay we're talking about a 30 pound rifle that consumes five dollar a round ammo cam how often are 50 caliber rifles used in crimes um almost never (laughs) right so (laughs) we're going to fixate on this even calling out that the ammunition itself is banned possession sale is banned it's these people watch too many movies. They are rightfully outraged by the deranged acts of a, of a depraved individual. Nobody thinks that that was good. But their emotional response to this is to lash out at the 2.5 million law-abiding gun owners in Illinois, and we're done. We're, we're done trying to convince. We're done trying to reason. We're just saying you can't do this, and we will see you in court, and we'll win. Uh, and I, I, I feel
0: I feel as confident as you, Dan, that that is going to be the outcome here. But um, I got to ask, so so, what is life like for the employees at Maxson Shooter Supplies today? Uh, I mean, not only do you all have to figure out, OK, is this gun been banned by name? Has this gun been banned by feature? I mean, how do you comply with the law and still continue to do business?
1: Well, uh, we're working through that right now. And the association is going to put out to the membership what we think be- best practices are. Uh, we have this window where we can continue to complete transactions uh, for firearms that the background check was started before midnight uh, last night or you know, this morning. Uh, my concern is that there's probably a lot of shops that don't understand the nuance of this, that that may not even know about this. We have customers coming in that are that are are, are, are baffled by this assault weapon ban. You know, not everybody is as focused on gun rights as you and I are. And. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned that there are people that are going to get caught up in a in a trick bag here, uh, completing transactions that they really shouldn't. And in an environment where the ATF is on a warpath for for uh, paperwork errors, boy, that could be fatal.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, it absolutely could. You're right. Um, now speaking of enforcement, you know, Illinois is kind of the birthplace of the Second Amendment sanctuary movement, uh, going back to Effingham County and what was it, 2017. Have you heard from any uh, sheriffs or state's attorneys, uh, let's say outside of the Chicagoland area, uh, who've said, I have no plans on enforcing these measures?
1: Yes. There are at least four counties, and I believe it's quite a few more. It started with Iroquois County, this go-around, where the uh, uh, County Board of Supervisors adopted a resolution that no county funds would be expended in support of this sort of gun control. So, you know, Illinois is a a, a tale of two populations, right? You have the the urban Cook County, Chicagoland, uh, and Collar Counties, and then you have the rest of Illinois. Um, Unfortunately, you know, the Senate is apportioned. Uh, by population now, thanks to the uh, Warren Supreme Court. So this whole idea that we have a bicameral legislature is nonsense. We just have a big representative house and a small representative house. And so those the Cook County, Chicagoland is going to dominate. And, you know, that that is what it is. The rest of these counties, though, at the county level are saying, you know, we're we're just not going to go along with this.
0: Well, I tell you, it's going to be an interesting couple of days here um, as we uh, wait for the lawsuits to be filed, the uh, first hearings to be held. But, uh, Dan, what is your advice for uh, for Illinois gun owners uh, or, or those who would like to become uh, Illinois gun owners in the near future? What's your advice to them today?
1: Well, first, support our efforts, right? I, I, I have to put the plug in. It's FFLIL.org. Sure. Um, we are a 501c4, so it's not a charitable tax deductible donation. But the board... Uh, which is four of us. We absorb all the overhead of that so that all the other resources can be devoted to this litigation. This is going to be a very expensive fight. I don't expect that we'll get to the Supreme Court because we have all these cases ahead of us uh, that that may not even get there. They may get decided. uh, But even if they do get to the Supreme Court, I don't think we'll have to go there. But we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, of of litigation costs to get this thing in. Uh, Support your local gun dealer. You know, that, that, that's that's what really matters. Um, keep the faith. We're going to win this thing. Uh, if you have a firearm that can't be delivered to you. Sit tight for a week, sit tight for two weeks. We'll probably be able to get you your gun. OK, Dan, listen, I again, I really appreciate
0: you joining us on the program today. I know we're going to be talking again very soon, uh, but thank you for all your efforts. Uh, in uh, fighting for and defending our right to keep and bear arms here in Illinois, I, it's it's I know it feels like an uphill fight, but I'm glad to hear your confidence and your optimism and uh, and frankly your enthusiasm uh, today, because I know that there probably are going to be a lot of gun owners in Illinois who are rightfully pissed off, uh, rightfully angry, but uh, but resolution and justice is coming. Thank you, Cam, and thanks for letting us tell our story. Absolutely, Dan Elder is joining us from uh, Maxim Shooter Supplies and uh, FFL IL here on bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I appreciate Dan joining us on the program, and uh, we, listen, we're going to be following what's going on in Illinois at bearingarms.com and here on the, uh, the show, uh, so make sure you check out the website because we'll be updating you on all of the lawsuits, the temporary restraining order uh, requests, and uh, the uh, backlash to the gun ban that I think is we're going to see on the part of uh, county sheriffs and individual gun owners as well. Now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there with the story out of Oregon, where, again, you know, the Democrats in charge of the state have decided that, uh, oh, gosh, my crime is skyrocketed. What are we going to do? Let's go after the legal gun owners. Ah, that'll work, right? Yeah, even while they have passed laws that uh, ostensibly are designed to reform the criminal justice system but seem to be giving youthful offenders in particular uh, a lot of lucky breaks. And now a, a woman who was allegedly shot by a teen on parole has sued the Oregon Youth Authority claiming negligence, basically that uh, they were not supervising the uh, teens under their care. 22-year-old Amaretta Rice alleges that the uh, Oregon Youth Authority and three of its employees granted Gerardo Trujillo Torres Parole in July of 2020, despite a record of violent and disruptive conduct while he was in and out of custody. The uh, following year, Rice was critically wounded while in the passenger seat of a car. A man in the driver's seat was killed in the shooting, and uh, Trujillo Torres, who's 16 at the time, uh, was the uh, first juvenile charged after uh, Oregon made significant changes to how it prosecutes juveniles accused of uh, violent crimes rice's lawsuit uh, filed this week in the marion county circuit court also names a, a juvenile probation and parole officer a supervisor with the oregon youth authority as well as the uh, superintendent of the mclaren youth correctional facility which is a, a facility for male juvenile offenders the uh, current criminal case against uh, julio torres is pending in marion county court in addition to second degree murder uh, he also faces attempted murder and assault charges for uh, shooting rice Uh, She, again, alleges that the state and these three employees were negligent when they did not consider the threat that he posed to others if he was paroled. And she says they did almost nothing after they learned that the teenager had violated parole conditions, uh, alleging that uh, uh, the uh, probation officer uh, in question um, refused to act. Uh, for more than a month after she learned that Trujillo Torres had shot at strangers from a moving car in Kaiser, Oregon. Also alleges that that probation officer who served as the uh, teen's parole officer was aware that Trujillo Torres was not in school, nor was he working in the fall of 2020. Uh, But again, nothing was done despite those repeated parole violations. Now, I'll be honest with you. I, I think that Rice has a good argument, but I don't know if she has much of a legal case because, quite frankly... I think this is the rule, not the exception. Uh, And if, you know, every victim of crime who was injured uh, because the state ignored uh, its own rules regarding uh, probation or parole, well, the courts would be clogged uh, with uh, similar lawsuits. So I I, I wish her the best. I don't know what uh, the odds of her success might be, but again... You know, as Oregon is facing a massive increase in violent crime, their answer was not to repeal these laws that are going soft on violent criminals. Their answer was not to ensure transparency and accountability within the state-run institutions that are supposed to provide rehabilitation or incarceration, at the very least, for those who've been uh, convicted of violent crimes. No, instead, they went after legal gun owners, Right trying to make it uh, as hard as possible for them to become legal gun owners in the first place with their permit-to-purchase standards, the uh, training mandates, waiting periods. They've got their own magazine banning it. All of these aimed at people who are trying to obey the law. Meanwhile, those in Oregon who are trying to flagrantly violate the law keep getting a slap on the wrist, and Democrats keep scratching their heads as to why crime keeps getting worse. Uh, let's see today's armed citizen story, Des Moines, Iowa, where a armed mom and a security guard stopped an attempted child abduction, uh, in, uh, one of the, uh, skywalks, uh, in Des Moines. Will Hunter is a, a security guard there. He says, everyone's welcome to be here. It's a public space. And I respect that. Um, uh, but you know, in the winter time, Hunter says they will get members of the uh, homeless community it says you have a lot of mental illness in the homeless community and they end up sheltering inside the skywalks where it's where it's warm. Uh WHO Channel 13 reports that last week two people were walking repeatedly in front of the Hubble Tower Apartments door. Uh one of the managers uh, uh, named Shay Lindbergh uh, finally opened the door, her kid was by her side and she asked you know listen is there a problem? Uh one of the people then grabbed her child. Yeah. And there was a bit of a tug of war for the child, but thankfully Lindbergh was armed and had her firearm with her uh and uh according to police um once she drew her firearm and said, "Let go of my kid," that's when the uh, man and woman walked off, and Lindbergh called the uh, local security guard Sergeant uh, Paul Parisek with the des Moines Police department uh says quote "It certainly looks like the big turning point here, the pivotal piece to keeping her child safe." was the fact that she was lawfully armed with a handgun, and she produced it and told them, let go of my kid. How about that? Uh, After uh, she called the uh, security guard for the Skywalk, uh, Will Hunter, Hunter called police, uh, gave him some names, and then also followed the uh, man and woman until uh, police could take over. Um, Don't know, by the way, what charges these folks are uh, facing, uh, or even their names, but... uh, You know, there might not always be a security guard around uh, or a police officer willing to step in. Thankfully, in this case, uh, 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 the mom in question uh, was able to protect not only herself, but her young child from a couple of people uh, who apparently had some plans for the uh, uh, youngster. Um, Glad that those plans were thwarted. Glad that the uh, mom and child are safe and sound. again because she was prepared and able to protect herself and her family. Finally today, our good deed of the day, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, a sheriff's sergeant and a a good Samaritan in Paulding County, Georgia, who ran across a a woman who had stalled out in the middle of a a busy highway, the uh, sheriff's department posting on Facebook, Sergeant Jared Gunter. Came across Ms. Cassandra Dunn this morning, stalled out in the middle of Highway 278 near Highway 61. After some citizens stopped to help push her car, she was safely moved to a turning lane. While Blake or where Blake Abney then volunteered to tow her vehicle to a nearby gas station so she could get back on her way. The uh, sheriff's office went on to say thanks to great teamwork. Ms. Dunn safely moved from one of the busiest roadways in Paulding County to the fuel pumps where she could get back on her way. Before departing, Ms. Dunn shared hugs and tears with both men. Just a reminder. It's free to be kind to your neighbor and fellow citizen. So there you go. Sergeant uh, Jared Gunter and uh, Good Samaritan Blake Abney in the right place at the right time, willing, able to do the right thing to uh, help Cassandra Dunn get on her way. And uh, we thank you both for your very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. Coming up on tomorrow's program, we're going to be talking about the Fifth Circuit's decision to overturn the uh, bump stock ban imposed by the Trump administration. Michael Cargill, who is the named plaintiff in the case in the Fifth Circuit, is going to be with us talking about uh, the potential for what happens next and why he decided to challenge that ban in the first place. Uh, As I said, we've got a lot of stuff happening today uh, in the courts in Illinois and elsewhere, so I would encourage you to check out BearingArms.com throughout the day. Make sure that you are caught up on the latest news impacting your right to keep and bear arms. If you like what you see, I'd also encourage you to become a VIP member at Bearing Arms. Not only will you get uh, exclusive news stories and analysis you won't find anywhere else, you're going to get that warm, fuzzy feeling of knowing that you're supporting the independent pro-Second Amendment journalism that we do. I mean, the warm, fuzzy feeling is nice, but the exclusive content pretty good deal too just use the promo code GunRights. you can get a significant savings if you go to bearingarms.com slash subscribe until tomorrow be well be safe and be
1: free